the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. KPDQ Portland, part of the Salem Communications family. True Talk 800 is also heard on iHeartRadio. Welcome to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. My name is Mike Lee, Director of Local Ministries here. If you'd like more information on our Experience Israel trip with Georgine Rice, Chris Kelly from The Fish, and Alistair Begg, it's coming up in October, so please email me at mikelee at kpdq.com. Today's very special guest is the lead pastor of Henson Baptist Church. Welcome, Michael Lawrence. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Mike. Hanson Baptist Church has some of the most storied heritage in the city of Portland, and it's located on Southeast 20th Avenue at Southeast Salmon Street. And you can find out more information online at hinsonchurch.org. Let's talk about your personal history. What brought you to Portland in the first place? Well, I, uh, I'm not from around here. I'm from the East Coast, born in Texas, grew up within the sound of the waves of the Atlantic Ocean in Charleston, South Carolina. I had no notion that I would ever be living out here, much less pastoring a church out here. But uh, a good friend of mine, who was a professor at Southern Seminary, a guy named Tom Schreiner, called me up one day and said, Michael, there's a church out in Portland, and you would be a great fit for them. And I didn't believe him, but a couple of years later, the Lord landed me right here. You were happy out in D.C. at the time. I was, yeah. I had been Washington, D.C. for about a decade. I was the number two pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church with Mark Dever, who's one of my best friends, and we had had a, a really fruitful and thriving ministry together. So I wasn't really looking to, to move. So you mentioned that God made it clear within the next couple of years that it was your time to come to Portland. Several things happened to move us out here. First, I ended up having a conversation with a guy named Todd Miles, who is a professor at Western Seminary and one of the elders at Henson. And he and I really hit it off. We were really like-minded. I realized that it'd be a great privilege to work with him. And then eventually the church invited me to come out for a visit, and we were not expecting to uh, fall in love with Portland and with Henson Baptist Church the way we did. I think God literally just moved our hearts here, even though I, I think the visit was in November. It was raining. It was cold. There was not a lot uh, attractive about Portland at that point. But the Holy Spirit just seemed to really move our hearts to love these people in this place. And uh, about a year later, we moved out here. It's funny you mentioned Todd Miles. I'd actually met him at a Christian Chamber of Commerce of the Northwest event where he was a speaker. And I just thought he was brilliant. He is. But I knew him as the Western Seminary guy. So here I am going to visit you at Hinton's Baptist Church. And I bump into him and say, what are you doing here? And he says, well, what are you doing here? <laughs> so, so you've got at least one real ringer on your staff at yeah. Hinton Baptist. Are there any others that have really helped you to get to know your congregation at Hinton Baptist? Sure. I was so grateful for the group of elders that were already in place when I got here to Portland. The church had not always had elders. We're a Baptist church, so that means we're congregational. The congregation has the final authority. But a few years earlier, the church had transitioned to elder leadership, 
And amongst those elders were uh, guys like Ron Mars, who is a dean at uh, Western uh, Seminary, Jan Verbruggen, who is a professor of biblical Hebrew at, at Western, Jim Sweeney, who was an emeritus professor at Western and uh, was getting ready to become the, the head of the North Portland Bible College. So guys like this who were older than me, who were wise in both the Word of God and in terms of Portland were a huge help. I think, honestly, though, maybe the biggest help to me was a fellow named Bill Fransky. Bill uh, was not a theologian. He's not a seminary guy. He was a retired track coach. He's uh, actually Oregon Hall of Fame track coach. He's got a field named after him here in Portland somewhere. Well, that's pretty huge. Yeah, it was great. That's Tracktown USA. This is Tracktown USA. And so Bill was the chairman of the elders at the time. And like a good coach, he came alongside me and helped me uh, learn this new place that I was living in, learn this new church, and learn how to take the gifts that God had given me and had developed back in D.C. and use them in a very different context. I'm really grateful for Bill and his friendship. So is Henson Baptist similar to the church where you pastored in, in the D.C. area? Well, in some ways it's similar. They were both founded uh, in about the same year, 1878. Uh, they are both city center churches. They, they both have long uh, history. Uh, histories, a, a real heritage to them. Uh, so, so in their founding, I think they're they're quite similar. Currently, they're they're not similar at at all. Uh, the the church back in D.C. that I left, it's about a thousand people, and the median age is not even thirty. This is a real young church then. It, back in D.C. You, now, you it, left. Didn't, it didn't start off that way. When I first got there, it was very different. But by the time I left, it was a very very young church in the city of the center, uh, in the center of the city. Uh, Henson is, is, is different. There, it's about 500 members, and the median age is probably, these days, about 55. So it's an older congregation with a lot of new people coming in. It's smaller, and it is reestablishing itself in the neighborhood. So back in D.C., probably more than half of the congregation could actually walk to church. We would have huge snowstorms that would shut down the whole city, but we would still have church. Because everybody could just walk. No, that's great. Yeah. That wasn't the case when I got here. Most of the folks lived in the suburbs. But I was really encouraged to learn just the other day that, that these days about half of our congregation lives within two miles of the church. So we are slowly but surely and increasingly becoming a church that is not only in the city, but part of the city. So man plant and God knows the real deal. That's so, right. So at the same time, what techniques have you put into play to try to build up that base locally at Henson? Yeah, you, you know, no real techniques. I, I've, the, the things that I've focused on are just the basic things that I think pastors should be about, whether they're in the city or in the suburbs or out in the country. I've tried to feed God's people from God's Word through faithful preaching, week in and week out. I pray a lot, and I love people. I love them individually, discipling people one-on-one, I spend time with them, and I train the elders to do the same. And then we're patient. We are so much, as pastors, creatures of our culture, we want instant results, just like everybody else does. But the Holy Spirit just doesn't dance to our tune. He is not at the end of our leash, as it were, to do what we want him to do. We need to be faithful as pastors to feed God's sheep, as Jesus instructed the apostles at the end of John there. We need to feed his sheep, his word. We need to pray for them. We need to love them. And then we need to persevere in all of that. 
patiently going about that work until and when God gives the growth. And sometimes the growth comes in unexpected ways. We're always looking for growth in numbers, but sometimes the most important growth and the growth that needs to come first is growth spiritually, uh, growth in maturity. I was hugely encouraged. Just the other day, I was doing a membership interview with a woman that was uh, uh, and her husband who were coming into the church, and her mom has been in the church for years, which was maybe one of the reasons she wasn't so sure she wanted to come into the church. And I asked her, well, what, what had changed? And she said, you know, my mom, who's like in her 70s, is really growing spiritually. And I think that's going to make it possible for me to be in church with my mom again. That was massively encouraging to me, that growth doesn't just happen amongst young people, but saints in their 70s who've been walking with the Lord for a long time can continue to grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus. I've got this vision. The ultimate church ought to look like the DMV. It ought to be a train wreck of ages, ethnicities, the oldest of the old, the youngest of the young, more walkers and strollers than than you've seen anywhere in one place. I think that's exactly right. I think that is exactly right. And uh, to the extent that our churches don't look like that, I think we're we're taking something away from the the witness and the power of the gospel. So why do we do that? Is it convenient? I, I could understand if it's a language thing, but... Why don't we mix better? Why do we compartmentalize people? Well, I think we compartmentalize people in our churches because it works. If what I'm after is numbers, if I want to see a church of 500 or 1,000 quickly, the best thing to do is to target a fairly narrow demographic group and tailor everything to what that demographic group likes. And you can read lots of church growth experts that will explain how to do this. And people do it because it really does work. If you want to draw a crowd, your best bet is to draw a crowd of people that all want to be together anyway. But I don't think that displays the gospel. We're speaking with the lead pastor of Henson Baptist Church. More information at the website HensonChurch.org. And more with Pastor Michael Lawrence next on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. You're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Lead Pastor Michael Lawrence is visiting us from Henson Baptist Church on Southeast 20th Avenue at Salmon Street in Portland. What exactly is success when it comes to a church? Well, I think what we need to understand is that, according to God, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, the point of the church, a successful church, is a church that displays the wisdom of God, the power of God in the gospel. When we think about what Paul is doing in Ephesians chapter 3, we realize that what he's pointing back to as the display of the glory and wisdom of God in the local church is the fact that in the church, people that have no business loving each other, people who are not like each other in any way, shape, or form, have actually come together in love through Christ to form one new humanity. Paul's talking about the division between Jew and Gentile. He says, this is what the gospel has undone. God put the division in place in the first place, but now in Christ, Jew and Gentile have been brought together to form one new man. And Paul says that this overcoming of difference, the most fundamental difference in many ways, the difference between Jew and Gentile, this overcoming of difference is a display of the power of God in the gospel that the world simply cannot explain. Now, I think that that continues to work itself out in lots of other ways. When, when we build a church around a particular style of music or a particular set of family programs that appeal to a very narrow demographic, well, it'll work. It'll draw that narrow demographic. 
But I think the world looks at that and says, there's nothing to be impressed with here. That's a club, and we understand clubs. We do clubs ourselves. The world does clubs all over the place. They look at at some of our churches, and I think, and, and they say, yep, that's a club. It's a religious club, but it's no different than what we do. But when a group of people who are young and old, of all kinds of ethnicities, of different socioeconomic backgrounds, married, single, divorced, widowed, with children, without children, when they all come together, even though they like lots of different kinds of music and have different styles of dress, when they all come together and love one another for no other reason than that they have Christ in common, all right, now we've got something that's not a club. Now we've got something that really, if you're going to explain it, you're going to have to appeal to the supernatural. And that's the point. That kind of church displays the power of God in the gospel. So how do we convey this to a world with a 24-hour Sherry's that I can go to? I want what I want, and I want it now the way I want it. How can we switch that mode of thinking to actually embracing silence and listening for the still small voice of God? And God, what do you want? Where would you like me to have fellowship? And sometimes it's easy and convenient, but that might not be where God calls us. Right, right. Oh, that's a great question. I don't think it has an easy answer, and it certainly doesn't have an instant answer. I think it begins as we as pastors are committed to not availing ourselves of the techniques of this world to build the quick, fast, uh, single-culture church. I think then in that context, we as pastors, we need to be teaching. It begins with the Word of God. We need to teach and preach God's Word, and we need to teach from God's Word what the church is supposed to be. And what it looks like then for us to live together in fellowship with one another, loving one another, bearing one another's burdens, despite the fact that we don't have a lot other than Christ in common. Then I think that as as that community actually develops, and it might be small at first, but as it develops, as people see it, as they encounter it, they begin to experience what, what Jesus said. Oh, this is how people will know you're my disciples, your love for one another. So first, pastors need to repent of availing themselves of those quick and easy techniques. We need to give ourselves then to teaching from the Word of God what it means to be a Christian, what the local church really looks like. And then I think we need to patiently build that community and allow the world to see something very different. Not everyone will like it right away, but many people will get a taste of it and they'll think, where has this been all my life? And whether you're... 15 or 50 or 105, if you're not growing in Christ right now, I just want to challenge you to ask God, am I where you need me to be? Hmm. Stick with the Word of God. And the rest, while important, is secondary to the Word of God. I, I, think, that's, I think that's right. God does His work in the world through His Word. He, he doesn't do His work any other way. He do, he's, and He's always been this way. When, when God wanted to create the universe, he spoke. When, when God wanted to call out a people for himself, he spoke to one man, Abraham. Uh, when, when God wanted to, to rescue uh, the nation of Israel from Egypt, what did he do? He sent his prophet, his servant Moses, to speak. Uh, when, when God wanted to finally then accomplish the salvation of his people, He sent the Word made flesh. God does His work through His Word in a world gone awry. 
And this always happens by the power of the Spirit, but it always happens and it only happens through the Word. As pastors, we can, we can get busy creating something using other techniques, but it's not the church. It's not God's work if it's not through His Word, because it is the way He has always and only works. I would love for you to prayerfully consider hosting a program, but that's irrelevant right now. Well, what I want to do is pick your brains, lead pastor Michael Lawrence from Henson Baptist Church. What goes into your preparation for a Sunday message? Yeah, that's that's great. I'm, I'm in the middle of doing that right now. Uh, I, I plan out my preaching series in advance, so I know what I'm going to be doing. Right now, I'm preaching through the first part of the book of Isaiah. So months in advance, I will have mapped out a, a rough plan of where I'm going. Uh, the, the week of preparing for a sermon, the first thing I start doing is I just start reading it devotionally. Every single morning in my quiet time, uh, whether I'm preaching or somebody else is preaching, I'm reading that passage. I may be reading other parts of Scripture too, but I want whatever word is going to be preached on Sunday morning, I want that text to be plowing my heart devotionally all week long. So not only have you scheduled this off, Mm -hmm. you're deliberately and intentionally delving into the word you will be speaking on. That's right. But devotionally, I'm not yet doing exegesis. I haven't cracked open the Greek or the Hebrew yet at this point. Just in my English Bible where I have my quiet times every morning, I'm letting the Word of God plow my heart. Uh, the, the other thing that I do in advance is I make sure that as a staff team and as an elder team, we're praying through that passage. So all week long, I'm listening. Uh, I'm participating, but I'm also listening to my fellow laborers pray for the congregation having been informed by that passage. We'll, we'll read the passage that's going to be preached, and then we'll pray for a segment of the congregation, letting that passage inform our prayers. So that, that just begins to uh, further uh, enrich my own practical and pastoral understanding of the passage. When I finally get to my study day, which is Thursday, you know, I do all the things that uh, uh, I think any good pastor does. Uh, I spend a lot of time in, in the passage uh, I'll spend time in the original languages if it's not too large of a passage. Uh, I'll, I'll be studying it, thinking about it. But a big part of what I'm trying to do is not only understand the structure of the passage and what's the main point of that passage, because that's the point I want to preach. I don't want to preach my ideas. My ideas don't save anybody. I want to preach the main point of God's Word, whatever section I'm preaching that day. But along with that, once I understand that point, I'm thinking through application on my study day. Why do young moms in my congregation need to hear this word? Why do retired people in my congregation need to hear this word? What does this have to do with teenagers making their way through the public schools of Portland or uh, a kid getting ready to head off to college? And I try to think real practically uh, about what sort of application. I I think about it in terms of of the non-Christians that are present as well. Uh, On any given Sunday, we've got maybe dozens of non-Christians that are there Some of them uh, are there because their family members are Christians and they come with them to church. Others of them are there because they want to be there. They're searching. Uh, They're they're, they're trying to think about it. So I I ask myself the question, why why does a non-Christian need to hear this? What might they not believe? Uh, What might they find difficult to understand? And then another area of application I'll think about is society. I mean, what difference does this passage have to make for just society in general at a common grace level? So I'm thinking through all that sort of application in light of the main point. And then on, on, uh, on Friday, I sit down to write the, the sermon. 
And that's the point then in time when I'm, I'm thinking about, okay, how can I say it in such a way that people will understand it? But it all begins with the word plowing my heart first, because I'm not going to have anything to say unless I've first heard from God. Michael Lawrence is the lead pastor of Henson Baptist Church. Give him a call at 503-232-1156. You're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Welcome back to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. I'm Mike Lee, and our very special guest today is Michael Lawrence, who is the lead pastor of Henson Baptist Church. More information on the website, hensonchurch.org. Earlier on, you were sharing with us about what you focus on before this incredible amount of preparation you do from sermon to sermon. Are there any time for God just throws you a curveball to preach on something different? Does that ever happen? Uh, that's a great question. Not yet. I've never abandoned the passage that I plan to preach on. I haven't yet felt so strongly that I just can't preach on this text. I've got to go preach on a different text. And that is because we're, we're generally just working our way through a book of, of Scripture. Like I said, now I'm doing Isaiah, and, this, and later in the spring I'll be in Ephesians. What often, though, does happen is the weight or the emphasis of the sermon shifts from what I thought it was going to be. Because... I want to deliver the main point of the text, but I want to deliver it to the people sitting in front of me where they are. I might have ahead of time in my mind one idea of what they need to hear, but then I get to that particular week, maybe the events that are going on in the world around us or the specific events that are going on in our church, and I realize actually from this text of Scripture, they're going to need to hear something slightly different. The weight is going to fall somewhere else. It's still driven by the main point of the text. This is the beauty, I think, of God's Word. Every single word is applicable to our lives every single day. Part of my job as a pastor is to figure out how those two things come together in any given week. And when you do so, is your congregation age-wise all over the place? They are all over the place. Uh, We've got saints in their 90s sitting there, and uh, we've got a number of families who don't actually use our nursery. We have a nursery a number of families don't use the nursery, so I've got three-year-olds sitting there. Am I the only one odd enough to really love that? I love having my kids with me in big church. And every so often, maybe like once, maybe twice a year, the pastor will forewarn us saying today's subject is going to be a little extreme for young ears. But for the most part, I love having them in big service. And back at our old church in Milwaukee, it used to annoy me that my daughter Kate was always doodling and drawing butterflies and things like that. And yet at nighttime devotional, she could nail. Yeah, she could nail Who it. spoke, what chapters what of the Bible. About. She could recite stuff. And, yeah. and you know what? You doodle all you want, girl. Yeah. If you're getting that much out of it, you keep doodling. I think that's right. And, and I really enjoy having the kids in the congregation and there during the sermon. Now, we have stuff available for younger children who are not able to sit in, and that's fine. We don't require children to be there. But families that decide they want their kids to be there, they're more than welcome. We love that. One of the things that I enjoy finding sometimes after the service is the doodling that some of the kids have done. They'll they'll have done it on a on a bulletin and you'll find it on the floor afterwards. And quite often what they're doing is illustrating my sermon. And it lets me know, yeah, they're listening. They're getting it. They're they're picking up different images that I've used in the sermon and they've drawn them out. And uh, I think that's excellent. That's spoken from a father's heart. So let's switch gears a little bit and tell us about your family. Yeah. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Adrian, for 25 years this summer. We have five children. Our oldest is about to turn 18, and our youngest just turned six. Four boys, one girl. We've got 
two in high school, two in middle school, and then one elementary school. And how has the transition been for the kids in particular? Well, as you can imagine, with that kind of age range, it's been really different. So my youngest is going to grow up thinking of himself as a true Northwesterner. I think he would prefer to wear shorts and a T-shirt every single day to school. He'll be one of those guys, you see the, the bus ads that talk about the Northwestern beach bums who are out there trying to get sun when it's not even 50 degrees on the beach. That'll be my youngest son. For my older children, it was definitely more difficult because they were old enough to have developed very close friends, to be well integrated both into a school and a church back in D.C., and so it's been challenging. I was grateful, though. Recently, I asked uh, my oldest son, if you had a chance to move back to D.C., would you? And he was very quick and clear to say, no, not at all. And so I think God has been kind to move not just my wife and I, but the whole family here and plant us here. And a lot of that has been because the church has loved us so well and taken such good care of us. That's not always easy in the Northwest. Yeah, and you know, this is where for us, it connects back up with the importance of local church because we don't have any family west of the Appalachian Mountains. So we That's have, all the way out That's east. all the way we're, back we're, east. We're not even like Texas no, or anything. No, 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 no. You gotta, you gotta, Your you family is east coast. Basically 3,000 miles. We're very east coast. And when we moved here, we found ourselves going through culture shock. We knew what that was. We'd been through it before because we'd lived overseas for four years We just didn't expect to go through it inside of our own country. So the transition was huge, and family is a long, long way away. But at the end of the day, as Jesus said, who are my mother, my brothers, my sisters? It's those who hear and and do the will of my Father. And so the church has had to become our family for us, and they've done that great. Several of the older couples have basically become our adopted grandparents for our kids, uh, and that they care is a for us. beautiful thing. I meet pastors frequently whose churches are in the older demographic, and I picked up an idea from a lovely couple, Tori and Gayla Wilson from my community group. Their kids don't live anywhere near here. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they adopted a grandchild. That's right. A local, completely unrelated kid, child of a single mom. And as a result, the mom has become as if she was one of theirs. And it's it's the neatest thing. So here we have people without family, and yet God draws them together. And they go out to lunch together on Sundays. And it it is a thing of beauty. So for those of us who are just tempted to sit in front of the TV with a remote or spend too much time on the iPhone, iPad, or laptop, may I encourage you that there is a world out there, not only for us to serve, but that can really have valuable relationships grow as a result of being servant-hearted. So that's that's just awesome that Henson Baptist has given you so many extra Grandparent figures. They really have. And of course, that couldn't happen if it wasn't an intergenerational church. If it was just a church of 20-somethings, that would not have happened. It was really something that my kids didn't have in D.C. Because even though when we lived in the East Coast, we were still 800, 1,000 miles away from our biological grandparents, my wife and my parents. So this has been a huge blessing to our kids to be here. Well, I'm glad they've gone out of their way to be so embracing Not every church is so like-minded. They don't feel necessarily inclined to be welcoming or embracing or to reach out to strangers because they're in their zone and it's comfortable. That's right. Is there anything that you'd like to share? Yeah, so I think this this is hugely important for us. And we've had to talk about this some at Henson. For many churches, old historic churches like Henson and a lot of new churches, a lot of the, the welcoming spirit is driven by that natural need for, for friendship. Uh, this is why oftentimes young churches are very welcoming because you've got a lot of young people that have moved to a new town. 
they're looking for friends, and they find that in a church filled with young people. You get a, an older historic church like Henson, and boy, the members of that church, they've got more friends than they know what to do with. They've got more family than they know what to do with. And so hospitality begins to disappear. That love of the stranger, the love of the newcomer disappears. We've got to remember that the New Testament idea of hospitality, of loving the stranger, is not driven by our need for another friend. It is driven by the gospel, because God loved us who were strangers to him and brought us in. He didn't need our friendship, but he loved us anyway. And so as we move our vision of hospitality, uh, uh, as we move our, our practice of welcoming people away from our own kind of more selfishly centered desire or need for a new friend or lack thereof to a gospel-driven understanding that because I have been loved as a stranger, so I need to love the stranger, begins to change everything. And it starts with the word of God because it, we're not naturally inclined to want to do no, that, we are don't. we? No, that's right. I, I first had to talk to Henson about this when I, I ran into a woman at our local elementary school, my son was trying out for the basketball team, and I was just standing there watching him practice, and she said to me, you're Michael Lawrence. And I looked at her, and I thought, am I wearing a name tag? How do you, how do you know that? I've never seen you before. And uh, she said, yeah, you're the pastor in Henson Baptist Church. And I said, yeah, I am. How do you know that? And she said, oh, I attended your church for about four weeks sometime last year, but I've stopped going. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, Why, why'd you stop going? She said, no one would talk to me. I said, you came to our church for four weeks and no one would talk to you. And she said, yeah, I, I loved the preaching, uh, but no one would talk to me. So we went somewhere else. Well, I had to talk to my church about that. I said, how could a young mom show up at our church four weeks in a row and no one speak to her? Well, the reality was people were still operating on the, the idea of hospitality as a function of my need for a new friend. I don't, actually, I'm happy. I don't need any more friends. I've got my set. That had to change. Thankfully, it has changed. That woman eventually did come back to our church. Uh, you know um, what? I'm glad this had a happy ending. It has a happy like ending. That. She did come back and was, uh, was a wonderful part of the congregation until she moved away uh, last year. Uh, but now what I hear from visitors is, oh my goodness, I can't get out of the door without four or five people talking to me. That, that's what I want to see. Now, praise God, the culture has certainly changed. changed to be so welcoming at Henson Baptist Church, located at Southeast 20th Avenue at Southeast Salmon Street. We're speaking with lead pastor Michael Lawrence. More information on the church is on their website, hensonchurch.org. That's hensonchurch.org. You're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Thanks for joining Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Michael Lawrence is the lead pastor of Henson Baptist Church right here in Portland, and he's also the author of Biblical Theology in the Life of the Church, A Guide for Ministry. So, Pastor Michael, what led you to start this particular book, I'm curious? Yeah, I wrote this book because, honestly, the Bible that I was taught as a young kid growing up in the church in the Deep South was not the Bible that I discovered I had when I became an adult, went off to college, uh, got involved with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and eventually went on to seminary. The Bible that, that I was kind of taught growing up as a kid was uh, a, a New Testament that told me how to get saved, and an Old Testament that gave me lots of moral lessons about how to live, and kind of a timeline that got me to Jesus. And uh, when I went away to college, that, that kind of vision of Christianity, a Christianity that was uh, a s- sort of 
say a prayer, get your fire insurance so you know you're not going to hell, and now be good Christianity. Boy, that wasn't going to keep me. That didn't hold me. And I was running away from the Lord when I went to, went to school, went away to college. Now, what college was this at the time? Uh, I went to Duke University back on the East Coast. Don't hate me. I'm sorry. Um, I just watched a great ESPN movie <laughs> called I Hate Christian Leitner. For those of you old enough to remember who that is, it was excellent. Anyway, so I went off to college running from the Lord, and um, thankfully the Lord got a hold of me there. And as I, as I began to study the Bible more and more and was taught Scripture, and then went off to seminary and was taught Scripture more, I discovered that actually the New Testament is a lot more than just a simple message about how to get saved. And the Old Testament is not a message about be good. But in fact, the entire Bible is about Jesus Christ from beginning to end. That all of it is pointing to him. That all of it is explaining to us who he is, what he came to do, how he was good, because we are not. How he is the one who fulfills all of God's promises and all of God's plans. And now calls us into fellowship with him and his church. So I wanted to write a book that would help people see how the whole Bible fits together as not a bunch of stories, but one story, one story about God's plan of redemption accomplished through Jesus Christ from beginning to end. And then I wanted to, uh, that book as well, not only explain how to put the Bible together as a whole, as a single story, but then to show the difference that makes for the way we use the Bible in ministry in the local church. So what difference does this have on your preaching, on your counseling ministry, on your stewardship and discipling ministries, on your missions program, all those sorts of things. So the book has a, a, a beginning part that's a little more technical, kind of explaining the, some of the tools for how we put the Bible together. It's got a middle part that basically tells the whole story of the Bible over again five times, uh, five different ways of telling the whole story of the whole Bible as one story about Jesus. And then a third part that shows very practically how to put that to work in in your everyday ministry. And it's a book designed for pastors, but it's also designed for um, small group leaders and Sunday school teachers and lay leaders in the local church. I grew up with a similar perspective. You you mentioned jokingly the term fire insurance. Mm. And growing up in the church, somewhere down the line, I came up with a mentality like I got in public school. Do I have to know this for the test? Yeah. So similarly, what is the least I can do to get into heaven and get all those benefits. However, at the same time, have fun and mm-hmm. not be awkward or uncool. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I wasn't able to shake that till my mid-20s where it got to a point where the pendulum swung the other way, where I don't care what people think of me mm-hmm. nearly as much as I did. So you yeah. may as well just be who God made you to be and continue trying to build on him and grow. But how does the church... Get that into the heads of the young in particular. Well, I think one of the things that we need to do is talk more about uh, what it looks like to be a Christian, what a Christian is, rather than how to become one. We spend a lot of time talking to our kids about how to become a Christian. Say this prayer, right? Um, Repeat after me. Do something. And if you do that, if you say this prayer, uh, if you repeat after me and you really mean it, then you're a Christian and all the rest is optional. I can't tell you how many parents I sit with on a weekly basis who are in pain because they really feel like they were sold a bill of goods. They prayed the prayer with their kids when they were eight or nine or 10. They brought them to church and put them in the programs. They did the things that they thought they were supposed to do, 
But now their, their child is, is all grown up in their 20s or 30s and hasn't been walking with the Lord for decades. And they wonder, what went wrong? What did I do wrong? Well, what we've got going on there is a really bad understanding of conversion paired with our typical American desire to turn everything into a technique and a method. And if you just do it right, you'll get the results you want. It's not the way it works. We, we want to talk to our children about the love of Jesus Christ as it's displayed for us in the gospel. And we want to talk to them about what it means to be a Christian. That is, to be someone who didn't just pray a prayer, but who daily is repenting of their sins and following Christ. Jesus didn't say, pray a prayer. He said, come, follow me. So we want to talk to our children about what it means to be a disciple, not what it means or how, you know, a technique for becoming a Christian as if you could check off that box. That means we got to be modeling it ourselves, right, as parents. Oh, yeah. We can't outsource this to the programs of the church. We can't outsource it to the Sunday school teacher or to the Christian school teacher. We can't even be certain that homeschooling accomplishes it. We as parents need to be living vital relationships with the Lord Jesus as disciples. Are there simple ways that we can get the ball rolling in that direction if we've spent a lot of time micromanaging our lives to the point where we only hang out with our comfort zone and we can't be bothered with the stranger, the old, the young, the ethnically different, the ones from different socioeconomic backgrounds. Is there an easy way we could just start and take a first step? Well, there are all sorts of first steps that you can take from making sure that you yourself are spending time with the Lord every day as a parent and that your children see that. Do your children ever see you open the Bible at home and just spend time reading? Do your children ever catch you praying beyond just praying for saying thanks for the meal that you're about to eat? So certainly letting them see a kind of vital piety at home. Second, do they see us not just attending church, but serving? Do they see us coming to church, not with a consumer mentality of what can I get out of it today, but rather how can we go today in order to be a blessing to others? How can we go to serve others? And then does it spill out beyond Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings or whenever it is that you go to church? Does it spill out into the rest of the week? Do our kids ever see us bring people into our homes that are not our blood relatives? Does hospitality extend beyond the family unit? Do our children see us involved in service and ministry uh, in ways that kind of inconvenience the rest of life? Honestly, any one of those steps begins to get the ball rolling because it begins to move our kids from seeing a Christianity that is all about a sort of consumer mentality and uh, technique to a, a vital living relationship with the Lord. Behind every good man, every good pastor is often a good wife. So tell us where you met Adrian Michael Lawrence of Hinton Baptist Church. Yeah, Adrian and I met as undergraduates at Duke University. She was dating one of my best friends. He broke up with her, and I swooped in uh, and never looked back, even though he asked me to, uh, you know how it is. When, when, once you've lost something, you realize how good it was. So he, my friend came back to me and said, no, oh, I think I'm still interested in her. And I said, too late. Uh, so we dated through college and then got married after college. And uh, she was really involved with me in uh, my ministry to students with InterVarsity, but she was actually at that time working in international development, uh, working for a large a USAID contractor doing international development around the world for underprivileged uh, societies and nations. 
Uh, but then eventually we left all of that, and together we went up to seminary at Gordon-Conwell a Theological Seminary on the North Shore of Boston, and we both got degrees there. Uh, there was a wonderful two-for-one program. As long as a husband and wife were both enrolled, we only had to pay one tuition. That's really convenient. Isn't that great? Christian colleges, are we listening? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so as a result of that, she has been, she's been my partner through it all, and I am so thankful to God that he gave me such a good gift uh, in my wife, Adrian. Amen to that. So, brother, when was the last time you had a one-on-one date? No kids, no church members, just the two of you. Actually, we were just able to do this uh, on uh, on Monday. We actually got away Sunday night, and because we had a friend in town who could babysit for us, so we were able to get away to Skamania Lodge for an overnight, and then went on some hikes, just the two of us. We were able to enjoy that, the beautiful Monday we just had, and uh, spend some time praying together out outdoors. That sounds wonderful. And maybe you're looking at one way you could start serving. You know what? It doesn't have to be an official program. Maybe just talk to that young couple with the young kid at your church who doesn't have any family around and say, you know what? Why don't you just drop off Junior at my house and go out to dinner for a few hours or just something like that. I know that some churches are wonderful at making youth play nights, which are really a way to dump off your kid to go out on a date. And I think it's a great marketplace ministry type thing, meeting people where they are. Whether or not they're strongly walking in the Lord, that would speak to the city of Portland and our listeners more than a lot of things we can do or tracts we can hand them at Halloween, right? I think that's right. I think that's exactly right. Look Look for a need that somebody has that's very different from you and try to cross that boundary and love them in that difference, whether it's taking as a single person, taking care of somebody else's kids, or as a young person, going over and just spending an hour with an older member in your congregation who maybe isn't able to get out so much. Ooh, I like that. And how many aspiring musicians do we have in the church? Well, when's the last time you took yourself to a senior facility yeah. and wanted to play a lunchtime concert That's to right. a captive audience who would love to hear from you? Exactly. Just some thoughts here. HensonChurch.org is the website for Henson Baptist Church. It's HensonChurch.org. Lead Pastor Michael Owens, thanks so much for joining us today. It's thanks been for having a me. pleasure and a privilege. And if anyone would like to look into your book, Biblical Theology in the Life of the Church, A Guide for Ministry, what's the best way to get a copy? Of? Uh, you can either get it through Amazon. They always carry it. You can also find it through the organization that I published it with, and that's NineMarks.org, NineMarks. The number, the number nine, nine marks. the word marks, dot org, which is a ministry to local churches, trying to help local churches rediscover some of the basic building blocks of building healthy churches. Well, thanks so much again for sharing your experience and your wisdom with us, Pastor Michael Lawrence of Henson Baptist Church. And thank you for joining Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.